I'm amazed at the thought that God loved me so much that he would offer his free gift of salvation to me. Amen? Just think about that for a minute. Let that really just sink in just for a moment that God loves you so much, so much, that he would send his son to die on a cross, to pay a sin debt that you owed but could not pay yourself. God loves you that much. This is probably one of the most famous verses that has ever been made known to mankind. I think oftentimes, I wonder, you know, people, they go to stadiums and events and championship playoffs, and they have these signs that say John 3.16 on it, and I'm not sure the world really knows, but I often have to believe that there have been times throughout history where people, because they did not know what it means, they'll get out their phone and they'll Google it, and they are exposed to the truth of the gospel in that verse. I know that I do that quite often. I'll be driving down the road, and you know, my wife will say, what's this? I say, I don't know, and I'll think about it, and I'll Google it later. If I see a bumper sticker, I'll say, you know, people do that. But the truth is this, is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, I don't know if you truly understand what that is. I don't know all of you that are here today, but I do know this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. And I have to believe that, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it says today is a day of salvation. And I hope that as you come in today, that you come in with an open mind. In fact, every Saturday night as we come in, uh, I, I think about this, and you can tell the guy, uh, ask the guys that come together for prayer every Saturday night. We pray that God will give everyone just the best night's sleep possible, but then that He wakes your hiney up and gets you ready for church. I hope you come in refreshed, number one, and then number two. My wife says, I can't believe you just said that. I did say that, I'm sorry. But number two, I pray that God would just come in and give you a heart of expectation that if there's something that you need to know, that God would impress it upon your heart so that you'll respond the way that would bring glory to him. And I hope that one of those requests today is that if you don't know Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for you. This is Love Sunday where we think about God's love to mankind. There's nothing you could do to deserve it. There's nothing you could do to earn it. He gave it to you freely because he loves us that much. So let's think about this morning as we look at nine key thoughts that flow from this verse concerning God's love for us. So first of all, it starts with God. For God. And what a place to start. It didn't start with confusion. It didn't start with any other man that was born to a woman on this earth. It started with God because that's the starting point of all things. He's the creator of the universe. And in John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, except through me. It starts with God because he is the avenue by which we can come to know him and have a relationship with him. But not only does it start with him, the next part of the verse tells us what he did. He so loved the world. And I love this because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, he demonstrated his love in this way, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when you think about that, he doesn't wait for you to get to a place where you can earn it. He doesn't get, wait for you to get to a place where you think you might deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. That's why it's called grace. And the reality is, he did this while we were yet sinners. He did this. And then, just for a moment, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. I love this passage. 
just for those of you that might wonder, is, can anything separate us from God's love? Let me just tell you that there is nothing that can separate us from it. But I want to read this passage. In fact, let me begin with verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you just stop right there and just think about it, is that God loves us. He says he's going to protect us. Nothing's going to come against that. He loves us that much. And so it says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Jump down to verse 35. Then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? I don't know about you, but we've all gone through times of tribulation, hardship, trials, disappointments, difficult circumstances, situations. And he says, these things cannot separate us from God's love, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. He loves us that much that He gives us the ability to overcome all these things, and He loves us through them. Nothing can separate us. So He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us that much that nothing can separate what He has given to us concerning His love. And then in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. Why does he extend mercy to us? Because he loves us. I don't know about you, but we don't deserve the mercy. We, don't, we, can't, we can't earn that mercy, but he gives it to us because of his love wherewith he loved us. So first of all, it starts with a God. God who loved us, and not only us, but literally the world. For God so loved that's completely the world. Yeah, think about this just for a moment. How many people are in this world? A bunch. I don't know how many, but there's a bunch. But when you think about that, God loves every one of them. And then when he says, the world, literally the cosmos, everyone in the entire universe. I don't know about you, but I've often said that a, de a simple definition of love is this. Love is a decision that results in an action. I can say that I love somebody, but if I don't follow that up by how I live, the words are really empty and meaningless, are they not? You see, I can say I love my wife, but if I don't treat her with my actions, it doesn't say much about my love, right? And so as we say that actions speak louder than words, we have to make sure that our talk matches, or our walk matches our talk. So Jesus Christ, or God so loved the world that he sent his only son Jesus and he included everybody in that. And I'm thankful for that. Because in the world that we live in, there are classes. You ever thought about that? There's the social classes. There's the ethnic classes. There's the racial classes. There's the positional classes. And we're terrible at making defined lines between them. Or we're good at making defined lines. Maybe I should say it that way. Because I don't associate with these people. Or I don't hang out with those people. And God loved every one of us the same. He didn't love one group more than the other. And I love this because in, uh, when I went to uh, India uh, 14 or 15 years ago, I came across a sign that Dr. Chatla had above his office door. And you remember in the history and the culture of India, there are classes. There are caste system. But he says, in Christ, there is no caste. Isn't that amazing? 
Because when we are born of Jesus Christ, we're in one big family. Whether you like it or not, we're in one family. One day we're going to rejoice together. Whether you're looking forward to that or not, we're going to have fun together. And so God so loved the world, every one of us, number four, that He gave. He did the action, so to speak. He provided the way, the hope of salvation. And it's the only hope that any one of us have. The bottom line is, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. See, there's not anything that you can do. We talk about that all the time, but the reality is, there is nothing you can do to save yourself. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the bottom line is this. If you can earn your salvation, Jesus Christ died in vain. And the reality is, you need Jesus Christ. But you also need Him and His love to, to pave the way for that, because you can't do it yourself. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. You know what the word wages means? If we go to work, we earn our wages, and there's something that we're doing about that, right? The bottom line is, if we're going to work, we have an income that we're expecting, because we've worked hard. And because we put in our time, we're expecting something in return. Sometimes we want a little bit more than what we want or deserve. Sometimes we want a little bit more than what they're willing to give. But there is a wage that is expected because of what we've done. Well, God says in His Word this. The reality is, the wages of your sin, what you justly deserve because of your sin, is eternal separation from God and hell for all eternity. That's what we deserve. But the reality is he loved us so much that he did not stop there. He kept going with that. And he made his love gracious to all uh, so that we could all trust him as our Savior. What we deserve is hell. And you say, well, I'm not a bad person. I, I, I mean, I help a lot of people. I'm kind to a lot of people. I, I go out of my way to make sure other people's needs are met. That's your works. And those works won't get you one inch closer to heaven if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. In fact, Isaiah puts it this way. All of our righteousnesses, all the good things that we can do, all the things that we think will get us merit and friendship and, and position and clout, all those things will mean nothing apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Reality is we need Him more than we ever admit. Our wages, our deserved benefits of our sin is eternal separation for God from God for all eternity in hell. But he says, but the gift. I don't know about you, but I like gifts. Anybody not like gifts? Anybody like getting a gift once in a while? That's what I thought. We all like gifts. God's gift to us is an incredible gift because, A, we can't earn it. We don't have to do anything for it. It's there. We have to receive it. You know, in the last couple of months, we've given away a lot of gifts. It was recently Andrea's birthday, and you know I didn't have Andrea say, "Oh, Andrea, you know I got these gifts for you, but I, I'm going to need an eight-hour workday around the house before I get to you." She'd say, "Keep it." No, she wouldn't do that. <laughs> she would not do that. You know, we recently sent a little care package to David, a gift with a couple things in there, just kind of encourage him and lift him up a little bit. We put a little Buffalo Wild Wings gift card in there. That always cheers everyone up, right? So that's good stuff. But I didn't say, hey, David, you know, if you, uh, you know, get a 4.0 on your next test, you know, 100% on your next test, I'll, I'll give you that gift. No. See, we don't work for gifts. Gifts are free. 
And that's what God's gift was for us. He says, you deserve hell for all eternity. Eternally separated from me. That's what you deserve. But I love you so much, I'm going to offer you this gift of salvation. That's an incredible gift. But what was his gift? We see, first of all, that it starts with God. And then he so loved. He so loved the world that he gave. And number five, what did he give? His only begotten son. His most precious, valuable possession. His only son. Um, let that sink in just for a moment. What is the most prized possession, if we could call it that, that most of us would probably agree upon? It's probably our children, right? We love our children. There's not too much that we won't do for our children. Even when they're doing dumb things and stupid things and saying stupid things. I mean, kids are kids and children are children and maybe yours are perfect and mine are. I mean, I know mine are. But maybe, maybe the years aren't. I don't know what your situation is. But the reality is, we love them anyway, don't we? I, I, I got maybe just a little bone to jump on just for a minute. A little bone to pick. Just a little something to jump on just for a minute. When our kids are young, maybe, I don't know, let's just pick an age. Terrible twos. Maybe you have the you know, terrific twos. I don't know. Um, but whatever stage your kids are at, and they did something wrong, did you kick them out of the house? Well, no, he's seven years old. I mean, I mean, well, no, you don't kick your kids out of the house. You don't, you don't, you don't basically come to the point when they're in their formative years that, well, they, you, you didn't clean your room to my specifications, so out the door you go. We love them, don't we? We encourage them. We even discipline them from time to time. Uh, we even say, hey, I think you can do this a little bit better, and we come beside them and help them, right? But here's my bone. We're part of a family of God. Why is it that when someone irritates us in the family of God, we were quick to jump on, jump on, uh, on the bandwagon and say, well, that church is this. And usually it's not the church. It's some individual that was being ridiculous. If we don't kick them out of our personal family, why would we kick people out of our church family? By our actions, by our reactions, by our words that hurt. We should be coming together, lifting each other up, edifying one another, building each other up in the body of Christ. Right? Bottom line is, we need to encourage one another. That's the point of this Sunday, is there's a reminder that you need to tell people who are a blessing to you that you're a blessing to me. You need to encourage one another. And in the body of Christ, there ought to be love that results in an action that is observable and brings God glory. But Jesus Christ gave His only begotten Son in Philippians chapter 2, I love this. It wasn't like he was better than all of us, even though he is supremely better than all of us. But here's what he did. He says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Now think about that just for a moment. That Jesus Christ laid aside the splendor of heaven, came down and took on the limitations of the flesh. And by that I mean that he thirsted, he was hungry, uh, he was tired. In fact, he had emotions, believe it or not. When Lazarus died, it says he wept. He took on the limitations of the flesh so that he could live a life as a man, be tempted in all ways like you and I, yet without sin, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Bottom line is, he lowered himself to become a servant. And it says in verse 8, Philippians 2, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. I love that. 
And I love what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 2 and verse 9. Hebrews 2 9 says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the sufferings of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Think about that. He experienced the pain, the death, the, the, the um, sinfulness of mankind was laid upon his shoulders so that you and I didn't have to do that. We couldn't do it. But he experienced death so that you and I don't have to. In fact, he says, I never asked you to die for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I'm asking you to live for me, to be a living sacrifice. And he says, I'm going to taste death so that you don't have to. Isn't that amazing? And in Acts chapter 4, he makes it very clear. And I've had so many people over the years say, well, pastor, you know, there's so many, there's so many churches, there's so many paths. No, there's only one path. One path. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by, which we must be saved. There's one name. It's the name of Jesus. So the bottom line is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that number six whosoever you know what whosoever means in the greek means everybody whosoever isn't that awesome pretty easy to understand he says whoever is willing to put their faith and trust in jesus christ can be saved i love these verses first john chapter two and verse two I love 1 John. It's such a great book. Easy read. Sit down in the afternoon and read the whole book. It's awesome. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says, And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. You know what the propitiation is? Is that he paid the price. He was that sacrificial lamb. He was the one that gave his life for us. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. And I love this in Hebrews chapter 7. Another one of those good verses. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. He says this. Therefore he also is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I think about that word uttermost. It means completely. It means all the way. It means anyone who's willing to come to him. Save to the uttermost. You think you are too bad? No. You think you've sinned one too many times? No. You think that you're just such an evil, wicked person, though that may be true? No. He's willing to save anyone who comes to him, the entire world. Let that sink in. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know he died for you. And this next point, that whosoever believes in him, number seven, Believes in Him. Anyone who is willing to put their faith and trust in Him. And can I say this this morning? This is what God wants for you if you don't know Him. This is God's will for you. I'll go that far. But see, here's the amazing thing is that God doesn't force His salvation on any of us. But He loves you so much that He wants you to be part of His forever family. How do I know that? I think God's Word is super clear on that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy <clears throat> chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I love these two verses here. 
There are people who say, and maybe you're one of them, I, I kindly disagree with you, but that God only saves certain ones that He chooses. I don't buy that for a minute. I don't buy it. And here's why I don't buy it. It says in verse 3, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, is that next word, some? Most? A few? He says, who desires, say it with me, all men to be, what's the word? Saved. Say, can I emphatically say that God wants you to be a part of his family? Yes. I emphatically believe that. That anyone who is willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's saying, I want you to be a part of my family, but it's your choice. I'm not going to force it upon you. I like that song that we grew up singing in Sunday school. He will not compel us to go. Oh, no, he will not compel us to go. He will not compel us to go against his will. He just makes us willing to go. Bottom line is there are many times in God that God orchestrates the circumstances of our lives, and he went through the Holy Spirit's uh, convicting of our lives. He shows us that we need him. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but my flesh is stubborn. It's strong-willed. Talk to my wife, talk to my kids, they can tell you. There are times I just, man, I'm going to dig my, my feet in deep and I'm not moving, I'm, bu- I'm not budging. This is what I believe and I'm not going to change. And sometimes God has to take the chisel out and just start beating on you a little bit, just forming you, molding you. And you don't like it sometimes. It doesn't feel good. But that's what he does because he loves us so much. And he says, I want you to be a part of my family. So he says this. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're here this morning and say, does that mean me? Yes, God, that means you. God wants you to be part of his family. He may not force you to become part of it, but he says, I want you to be part of it. And then he further adds to it in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. He says this, uh, not returning evil for evil, but right, no, 2 Peter, I'm in 1 Peter, 2 Peter. There we go. 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that, how many? Some should perish? That most should perish? That a few should perish? He's not willing that any should perish, but that, where's that word again? All should come to repentance. He says, Man, I love you so much, I want all of you to be part of this family. I've said for years, I don't know how people who don't know Jesus Christ, I don't know how they get through life. I don't know how they do it. He's my rock. He's my, he's my fortress. He's my strong tower. He's my, he's my strength when I am weak. I need Him. And my family needs Him. This church needs Him. Amen. We need Him to be part of us. So He says, anyone who is willing to put their faith and trust in Him, He says, I want you part of my family. He didn't put stipulations here as far as you've got to achieve a certain level of goodness, a certain level of obedience, a certain level of uh, get-your-life-together type act, and then you can be part of it. He says, no, I want you. And then number eight, here's the beautiful part too. Should not perish. What greater hope can anyone have than that promise? That hope. Um, to me, that is amazing. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die after this, the judgment. You see, every one of us, except the Lord come again in our lifetime, we're going to see death. Every day people die who don't expect to die. 
There are people who woke up yesterday morning that were in a car accident that never expected to be in a car accident and were ushered into eternity. Yesterday, there are people who died from cancer who didn't expect to die from cancer. There are, there are people who wake up every day of their life who are in circumstances and situations that they would never choose, but the result is death. Bottom line is we don't know when Christ is going to come and we don't know when we're going to die. And for that reason, he says, we are appointed unto die, once to die and after this a judgment. And the bottom line is this, you're either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. There is no middle ground despite what some people may teach and think. There is no middle ground. It's not in the word of God. It's either heaven or hell. So my question to you would be on this point is this, do you know Jesus Christ? He wants you to be part of his family, but are you a part of his family? He says, the door is open. He goes, I want you to, be, to step in and put your faith and trust in me. I want, to, I want to forgive you of your sins and cleanse your heart. I want you to make, a part, make you a part of my family. But you have a choice to make. Because the reality is this. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Hell is not a place that we would want to go ever. People joke about it. They write crazy songs trying to be funny, funny about it. That if all my friends are there, I'm going to go and have a big party. It's not going to be a party, folks. It's going to be eternal damnation for all eternity, for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. Where will you spend eternity? So let me repeat one more time. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's love through His Son Jesus Christ is still offered today. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says this, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13, I've shared this with numerous of you in the congregation this morning, These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may wish or hope or think Right? That's what I'm talking about. Let's get real here. You see, you can hope that you're going to win the lottery. Is there any confidence in that? <laughs> Never going to happen. You can wish you could win the lottery. Is that ever going to happen? Probably not. You can even think you're going to win the lottery. I mean, you can go and spend thousands of dollars on tickets, and you may think, well, I've just increased my odds, right? You may think you're going to win the lottery. Yeah. Bottom line is this. He didn't say that you may wish or hope or think. He said that you may know you have eternal life. He says these things, all these things I've been talking about, these things have I written unto you who believe. It comes down to this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe? In heaven, for all eternity with our Savior, God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ, is still offered today. Remember what He said in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25? I said it earlier. He can save to the uttermost those who are willing to put their faith and trust in Him. I've said it for many years. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have a relationship with Him, it's the most important thing, most important decision you could ever make. Here's the reality. You know, there are a lot of people who think they're going to heaven. And they're not. Good people. 
who do a lot of great things. But just like Jesus said in the Gospels, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, good. Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not figured out, filling all the good things that you've ever done? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, it only comes down to this question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I've said it many times. You've heard me say it many times. It's as simple as ABC. It's the first thing that we teach our kids as they're growing up is their ABCs. On Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means every one of us are born sinners. The first thing we need to do to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is simply admit that we're a sinner. Do we know Jesus Christ is our Savior? Are we willing to admit that we've done wrong and that knowing that our sin separates us from God for all eternity, according to Romans 6.23? But are we willing to admit that we're a sinner? And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Simply A, admit that we're sinners. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid that sin debt. You know, we've all seen those stories, or those pictures in Grandma's house of Jesus with the crown of thorns. We've heard the stories. But have you accepted what Jesus Christ has done for you? That's what matters. You see, let's jump on that lottery thing just for a minute. Let's just assume for a minute that so-and-so over here won the lottery. You say, wow, I know that person. That's pretty cool. They got a new house. They got a new car. They get, they're giving away all kinds of money, helping people. You know, that's pretty cool. It's not as cool as if it would have happened to you. Let's be honest, right? Come on now. It's cool when it happens to someone you know, but it ain't as cool as when it happens to you. So here's the deal. I can know all kinds of other people who know about Jesus. I can know a lot of facts about Jesus. Uh, but here's the difference. And I've used this illustration before. Anybody know President Trump? Or Obama? Or Clinton? Or Reagan? Or Bush? You say, oh well, yeah, I know who they are. No, you know a lot of facts about them. Some skewed, some real. You can go on the Google and type in their name and get all kinds of things about them. But do you know them? You see, it's a difference of knowing about someone versus knowing someone. You see, I can learn all about the facts, but until I can walk over to their house and, hey, how's it going? Hey, come on in. Or pick up my phone and, yeah, how's it going today, George? You don't know them. You know about them. And see, that's the problem with Christianity so often. We know about him, but do we know him in our heart? Do we know him in our, or is this a mind thing, or is it a heart thing? And then let her see. Confess and call. He says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's the deal. ABC. Admit that I'm a sinner. Believe that Christ died on the cross for me. I confess my sin before him and I call on him to be my savior. By that simple prayer, I can become part of God's family for all eternity. No one can take it away. 
I can't lose it. For all eternity, I get to be a part of his family by simply putting my faith and trust in him. You that are here with me this, this, this day, I want to just take a moment and just give you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Pastor, I've never heard this stuff before. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's not. Maybe I've heard certain parts about it. Maybe I haven't heard other parts about it. But I'm concerned. And so here's the question I want you to ask, answer in your mind this morning. Do you truly know Jesus Christ? And by that I mean this. If you were to unfortunately pass away in 15 minutes, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? See, there are going to be a lot of people who will be ushered into eternity because it's a point under men wants to die, then the judgment. But if Jesus Christ were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Well, I was a good person. It eh, doesn't work. I helped a lot of people. Eh, sorry, wrong answer. I love everybody. Eh, wrong answer. The only acceptable answer is this. I put my faith and trust in you. That's it. It's a simple prayer of faith. My prayer can't save you. I, I, wish, I, I wish to God I could just say, you know what, I, I wish for everyone to be saved, and, and Lord, just save them all. But me saying that or wishing that or thinking that or hoping in that doesn't change anything. Apart that I'm praying that God would work in your heart to draw you to himself. But the reality is, your simple prayer of faith can open the door for you to become part of God's forever family. So I'd like to invite you just for a moment to close your eyes, to bow your heads. Let's just have a moment of prayer. I don't do this often, but I just want you to think about it. And I'm going to share a few more verses after we're done with this. But what does this simple prayer of faith look like? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, you say, Pastor, I, I don't know that I've ever prayed and put my faith and trust in Jesus. In just a moment, I'd like to offer you that opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I just ask for a moment that if you know Jesus Christ, that you'd be praying. If you don't, I ask that you might ask the Lord if he's speaking to you. But this simple prayer, you can repeat after me, but notice not this, my prayer won't save you, but if you'll pray in faith believing, you can become part of his family. Simply say this to, to God himself. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. Dear Father, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I put my faith and trust in you and ask you to be my Savior. Help me to live a life pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe this morning you said, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer for the first time. I put my faith and trust in Him. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that He died on the cross for me. And I realize I need to call on Him to be my Savior. And He said, Pastor Ken, I prayed that prayer this morning. Would you just simply lift your hand so I can pray for you? I'm not embarrassed you. I'm not calling you and say, I prayed that prayer this morning. Anyone like that? Then the next question for us this morning is this. What are you doing with the salvation that God has given to you? Are you a follower of Christ? He says in John chapter 13, as we sang about this morning, this new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Are you showing that love, the love of Christ, the love that he gave to you? Are you giving it to others? 
He says, not necessarily a new commandment, but it's entirely a new commandment. He says, you know about it, but are you doing it? Are you practicing it? Is it part of your life? Do you love me? and Do you love others? And let me just say this. You will never love the world completely until you learn how to love God completely. How can we demonstrate this godly, agape love to one another? 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but it says love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not arrogant, is not rude. It does not insist on having its own way. It's not selfish, in other words. It's not irritable, resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does, not, does rejoice with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So now faith, hope, and love abide the grace of these as love. This is what Christ demonstrated to us on the cross in his consistency and his faithfulness to us were to love others. Love seeks the ultimate good of others. And according to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, love is the attribute of one who is truly a child of God. Does love abide in you? I just want to say in closing this morning that if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you haven't experienced his love, can I just say it will change your life? It will change the way you think. It will change the way you act, react. It's the only hope that we can truly count on. I trust that you will make that decision to follow him. I invite you all to stand to your feet this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I don't know everyone that's here today. I don't know what their background is. I don't know whether or not they truly know you or not. God, I don't know everything about them, but you do. And I ask, God, that you'd work in hearts. Lord, to draw people to yourself. Lord, if there truly be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. And Lord, for those of us who truly do know you, might we be sharing the love of Christ to all we come in contact with. May we be a picture of Jesus to a world that may never walk through the doors of church. God, may we demonstrate your love with our actions, not just with words. So God, speak to our hearts this day, and we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.